I'm wondering if you've ever been in a social situation where you just end up feeling trapped. Like somehow you've been boxed in by other people, there's an expectation on you and you've really got no power to get out of there. I remember my first girlfriend, Frances. I was in grade 11. I wasn't looking for a girlfriend. But she was sort of part of this youth group that I went to. And a couple of my guys at school said, listen, there's a, there's a barbecue at Francis's place. You, you want to come? So some of my friends were attending. So I went along and discovered three of my great mates were there, each with their girlfriend. And there was Francis. And there was me. Through the backyard of Francis's place was a creek and she owned a little rowboat. And the first couple went out for a little row, and then the second couple went out for a little row, and the third couple went out for a little row, and I'm just standing there thinking, oh, there's no way out of this, is there? <laughs> she said, Tim, can we go for a row? And uh, we did. And um, well, I, I, what, we, we dated for three months, like it just didn't work. But you understand, I just, I just felt trapped in the situation. I just didn't think there was any way out. Maybe I had, maybe I had memories of when I was in, uh, a five-year-old just starting school. And in the boys' toilets at our school, while I was using them, these big, tough second graders, you know, big seven-year-old boys, they barricaded the door and trapped me in there. Seriously, boys' toilets at schools are not a pretty place at all. And I just, I was desperately trying to push that door open. I was banging and yelling and screaming, but they were just bullies. They just kept me there. I realised I was trapped and I had no power of my own to get out. And I don't know if you've ever felt in a situation where you just feel you're a little bit trapped, there's no obvious way forward, you don't have the strength, you don't have the power to get yourself out of it. And it can happen so easily. Like you can just feel trapped by your finances. You can feel trapped by your unemployment. You, you can feel trapped that maybe you play sport and you're good at it, but it just demands so much of you, you don't get to do anything else. Maybe you're trapped by your achievements and your success that they just demand so much from you, there's no way to back off. Of course, you can feel trapped by your own sins. You know, the stuff you've done and... You're desperately trying to shake it. it. It doesn't work. You can feel trapped by your past. You can feel trapped by your guilt. You can feel trapped by addictions, maybe addictions to a substance, addiction to a relationship, addiction to porn. There can be all sorts of things. And if you've tried to bust free, you've probably worked out it's an awful struggle and sometimes you just don't have the strength. And when you feel trapped, it's just simply that it, it almost feels like no matter how hard you try, there is just no way out of it. Like, it would be great if somebody else could come along and rescue you. It would be fantastic if they had more power than you, that they could pay the price, someone to fix the problem, someone to set you free. We're doing, we started a great series here. At, uh, at church last week. Series is called um, <laughs> Good News 
for the weary soul. And we're looking at four words. You realize you can see that. I can't. You understand that. Good news for the weary soul. And we're looking at four words. It's like looking at the one event from four different angles. Four words that have incredibly deep meaning and they're all about the one event, which is Jesus' death and what it achieves for us. Last week, young Pastor Mark kicked us off by having a a cracker of a preach about justification. That is... um, In Christ, you are forgiven and no longer guilty. If you missed it, catch it on our YouTube channel. Tonight, we're going to look at redemption. That is, you are free, no longer enslaved. Next week, the lucky preacher gets to use a word that most of us have never heard of, propitiation. You are favoured, no longer under his wrath. And then the fourth one is regeneration. I apologise, actually the wrong word is up there. The fourth one is regeneration, fully alive and no longer dead. These four aspects simply are about the magnificence of what the death of Jesus does does for us. And by just spending one week on each aspect, my prayer is you will see Jesus' death and resurrection with a magnificence that you have never seen before. That you will feel the impact of what he's done from you in a way that is bigger and brighter than you had ever actually realized before. So tonight, we're looking at that word called redemption. And there's a, a, a passage I want to start and finish with which is from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, which simply says this, In him we have redemption through his blood. That is, in him, that's Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, that's his death. And that this redemption we're talking about, it's not because of what we do. It's not because of how wonderful you are or how many serving teams you signed up for. It's not how many life groups you attend or how much you give or how how much you proclaim Jesus' name. It's in him. All this comes not from us. It comes from Jesus. And can you see how we get it? We actually get it through his blood. His death on the cross achieves a redemption for us that none of us could ever achieve for ourselves. And wouldn't it be great as we look at the scriptures tonight, wouldn't it be great if God actually set you free? Yeah. So, um, here's the problem with the word redemption. Like, what is it? Like, we know it's a good word. We know it's a religious word. The word redeemer slips into some songs we sing. Like, we know it's a good word. It's a good holy word. But what on earth does it mean? Well, can I just suggest, if you've ever felt trapped, you needed a redeemer. If right now you're feeling trapped, you need a redeemer so you can be set free. Come on, we all want freedom. True? Come on, we all want to be free. When we moved to the Republic of South Africa eight years ago, and I've been practicing my South African accent ever since, um, (laughs) we discovered that South Africa has like a thousand public holidays every year. Seriously, there's a stack of them, and one of them is called Freedom Day. You know which one this is, don't you? Quick, what's the date? April 27, and what's it commemorating? 1994. First full free democratic election where every adult got to vote. 
And that had never happened before in South Africa's history. We've had 30 years of freedom, folks. Do you feel free? Like, freedom is a great thing. We're making progress. But seriously, are we free or are we held hostage by ESCOM? <laughs> are we terrorised by the taxis? Are we in fear of the gangs? Are we just weighed down by corruption? You understand that even when we're wanting to be free, it almost feels like we don't have the power to make it happen. I heard someone say once, freedom is the ability to choose which prison you live in. And seriously, that is how our life goes. Will I live in the prison of my sins? Will I live in the prison of my addictions? Will I live in the prison of my poverty? Will I live in the prison of my past or my failures? Will I live in the prison of my successes and the achievements that everything, everybody expects from me? Will I live in the prison of my social media? Will I live in the, pr the prison of my exam results? We all want freedom, but we struggle to have the ability to produce the very thing we need. That's why we need redemption. Because it's not a word that I think you use in your everyday language, I've tried to work out a formula to explain it. Now, I made this up, but I think it's right. There are four factors in this. We put the first three together, then we get a result. Okay, have a shot at this one. Number one in the formula for redemption is to have a trapped slave who is powerless. That's number one. Add to that number two, a loving redeemer who is powerful. Add to that number three, a high price that might be paid. Add them up and you get the equation solved in number four, the prisoner is set free. Now, this language comes from the slave market that operated in Bible times. Here's the way it would work. You have no money to feed your family, so you borrow money from a money lender. But what happens when you can't pay it back? Legally, you and your whole family became slaves of the money lender. You have, anyone here got a bond on their house, you know you are a slave of whoever you've borrowed the money from. And it wasn't just you and your children, it was your children's children and every generation from that point, everybody was enslaved until you could pay your debt off. Now here's the catch. If you're a full-time slave of somebody, you have no opportunity to go and earn money somewhere else. So once you're enslaved in debt, you, were, you had absolutely no power to ever get your family out of debt. Slaves for every generation from that moment on. Unless a redeemer came along who knew you and loved you and had some power, they could pay your debt off and you and your whole family get released. Do you understand that's how redemption works? Some of you might have already done that and redeemed others. Has anyone ever taken a rescue dog and adopted them into your family? You may not have realised this, but you redeemed that dog. Let's just check the criteria... Were they a slave with no power? Yes, they were locked up in a cage. 
they, did they have the ability to break free? No. Along comes a loving redeemer with power. That's you. You pay the price to get that rescue animal. And guess what? They're set free. You take them in part of your family. That is redemption. Have any of you ever gone to an, an arcade, you know, with games you can play? And they've got these games there where you get lots of tickets coming out of the machine as your prize. You know, it's basketballs through the hoop, it's whacking crocodiles on their head. They've got all these games, you put your money in, and when you win, you get a whole string of tickets. And when you've got a whole stack of tickets, you take it up to the ticket counter and you redeem the tickets. Do you see? That's a redemption going on. The evil arcade game owner has little fluffy animals trapped in his prison. A glass-fronted prison and no hope of escape. They will spend a lifetime and die in there. You come along as a loving redeemer. You've got to do all the work. You've got to play the game. You've got to put your money in. You pay the price and you set a little fluffy animal free. Do you, you understand that's the principle of redemption at work? So, in the Old Testament, did God ever redeem his people like that? Can anyone think of an example in the Old Testament where God's people were slaves, there's a first cue, and God decided to redeem them? Anyone got, anyone got it? Exodus, thank you very much. This involves an African country, so pay attention. I'll take you to Exodus chapter 6, verse 6. This is what God says to Moses. He says, therefore, Exodus 6, 6, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. God's people had ended up in slaves in Egypt. There was a million of them subjugated by the most powerful human being on the planet, the Pharaoh. He was the world's superpower leader. There was absolutely no way in the world they could ever break free. Let's just check our four elements there. The trapped slave, yep, God's people, slaves in Egypt. A loving redeemer, yes, a God in total control. Pharaoh thought he ran the planet. In fact, he didn't realise God was actually using Pharaoh to achieve his objective. And even in the plagues, God shows he is more powerful than any of the so-called gods of Egypt. That he is in charge. He is the redeemer who comes in. The high price that must be paid. What was the price that had to be paid to finally let Pharaoh let his people go. It was a high price. The death of the firstborn son. Every Egyptian family who refused to bow the knee before our mighty God, the firstborn male in every family of every generation died that night. Put your hands up if you're the firstborn male of your generation in your family. Come on, all the firstborn males, put your hands up. Come on. You're gone, sorry. You, you got it wiped out that night. God's people 
paid a price as well, but it was a firstborn lamb that God told them to sacrifice. You know, they put the blood over the doorpost and they were spared. I just want you to understand there was a high price for God to redeem his people. And number four, God's people are freed. One million slaves march out of Egypt to worship God on the mountain and to start heading towards the promised land. You understand the concept of redemption. So the next question you're thinking of is, well, all that is well and good. Thank you for the history lesson, Tim. Why do I need to be redeemed? Like, what's that got to do with me? Now, I work with teenagers. Have you worked out they're the most wonderful, fantastic, brilliant people on the planet? And seriously, come along on a Friday night. There are lives being transformed. But I have a chat sometimes with teenagers about Jesus and they're saying, well, I don't need Jesus. Like, I'm, seriously, I'm doing fine. Like, I don't need a saviour. I don't need a redeemer. And I think the reason we do that is we lose sight of the gravity of our sin. Now, look, there's a word that you're not meant to use these days. Because we look at our sin, a rebellion against God, a deliberate act of disobedience, and we use other words to describe it. We call it a mistake. We call it a bad choice. We call it an accident, an unwise decision, a misjudgment. But the Bible calls it sin. Now, as I'm now preaching this, I'm thinking a whole lot of other churches that were thinking of inviting me to preach are probably cancelling their invitations right at this very minute. We can dismiss it as it's nothing much really, but God calls it sin and I lose sight of how repugnant my sin is to God. Our sin is abominable and in the 21st century, we just dismiss it as a little mistake. Can I take you to the Bible on this one? This is uh, Psalm 5, written by King David. See if you still want to follow Jesus after we've read these verses. Psalm 5, verse 4, 4 to 6. For you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. The bloodthirsty and the deceitful you detest. It's in the Bible. Now this is the God who loves you. This is the God who would do anything to bring you back to him. This is the God who wants only the best for you and yet to him your sin is repugnant. Your sin is abominable. Your sin is disgusting. It is revolting. It's despicable. It's detestable. It's offensive. And you're thinking, God, why the big deal? Come on. It's just a little mistake. Here's the big deal. Because our God is pure, holy, and righteous. He is perfect. Now, do you understand? To be a perfect God means a zero tolerance for anything that is wrong. Like if God lets one little sin into, into, the, into the whole equation, he's no longer perfect. 
His, his righteousness, his holiness burns brightly like an all-consuming fire and will destroy any sin that gets close to it. It's like our sun, as in the yellow thing in the sky that gives us some light and heat. Do you understand that is a fireball of intense proportions that is all-consuming and nothing can ever approach it without being consumed by its flames? Let's imagine a, the next South African government initiative is our first space mission and we are going to land astronauts on the sun. And someone says, well, we can do it. We'll just do it at night. <laughs> do you understand... You could have the best spacecraft in the world and the most fire retardant suits for the astronauts. You understand, you get anywhere near that sun, your whole spaceship will be consumed by its fires that burn so brightly. And God's holiness, his righteousness, burns brightly like that. The prophet Habakkuk. I'm not going to ask you to look it up. <laughs> Old Testament, towards the back. Habakkuk says about God, your eyes are too pure to look at evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. We undervalue our sin because we undervalue how righteous God is. But okay, I, I can see your brains ticking away and some of you are saying, yeah, yeah, I get all that, but hang on, we're not slaves. All right. The continent of Africa has a history of slaves, but we are not slaves. Well, can I just suggest that Jesus disagrees with you? John 8.34. John 8.34. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And you're thinking, no, I'm not. I can stop any time I want. Hmm, can you? Like, have you ever had one of those moments after a great religious revival and you think, I'm not going to sin again. I'm going to give it all correct. Have you ever done that? How did that go? Let's make it easier for you. There's one sin that you keep, getting, you keep drifting back into. Just one. And you say to God, I am never going to commit that particular sin ever again. How did that go? You understand that when we sin, Jesus says, you become a slave to that sin and no matter how hard you try, you just can't bust free. Do you understand that whenever a relationship is broken, there's a cost involved to repair it? There's... I'm not looking at anyone in particular. There's a husband who is unfaithful to his wife. There's a friend who just ghosted you and turned against you. There's somebody who you trust that lets you down. And one person can say, I'm sorry, and the other person can say, I forgive you. But the relationship is fractured and there is a cost to repair it. And usually the person who's done the wrong thing is under obligation to actually pay that cost so that the relationship will be repaired. When we sin, we fracture our relationship with God. 
And we want to restore that relationship, but there is a cost to do it. And realistically, we should pay that cost because we're the ones who've done the wrong thing. But guess what? We can't. We can't pay that cost. So God looks at it with his eyes of love and says, I want to repair the relationship. I will pay the cost. Jesus says, I am prepared to sacrifice my life to, and pay the penalty to pay the price so that you guys can be saved and enjoy eternal life forever. So let's just check what is this cost that has to be paid. Okay, back to the Old Testament. Put your brains on here. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, there was a tree from which they were commanded not to eat. What did God say would happen if they disobeyed him and ate from that one tree? What did he say? What will happen to them? You feel a little bit sick in the morning? No, what did he, what did he say? Okay, you're right. Genesis 2, where are we? Genesis 2 verse 17. You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Let's just check. The day that Adam and Eve ate of that tree, did they in fact kill over and die? Was God ringing the funeral directors to say we've got a... So what does God mean the day you eat of it you will die? And they obviously didn't die. Come on, what died at that moment? Their relationship with God died. They cut themselves off and symbolically they're cast out of the garden and we are their descendants and we are also in the same fractured relationship. Our sin causes spiritual death. Now, okay, we'll go into the New Testament now. Paul says to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 1, He's talking to people who are now Christians, but Ephesians 2.1, he says, you were dead in your transgressions and your sin. Spiritual death is the cost of sin. Notice he says we're spiritually dead. Without Jesus, we are spiritually dead. He doesn't say we're spiritually sick. He doesn't say we're spiritually unwell. You know, a couple of doses of religion will probably pick you up. Although some people come to church for that reason. No, he says we're spiritually dead without him. Now you've, got, you've got to understand the impact of that. What can a physically dead person do to bring themselves back to life? Like if someone has died, there's a corpse, what can that dead person do to bring themselves back to life? Nothing. So what can a spiritually dead person do to give themselves eternal life. Absolutely nothing. We need a redeemer. Can we go back to those four things in my little equation? Let's just check it. A trapped slave who is powerless, Jesus says we are slaves to our sin. A loving redeemer who is powerful, yes, there is a God in total control. You might look at the world and think it's gone out of control. You might look at your life and say it's gone out of control. I want you to know there is a God who still has everything in control. He's got the whole world in his hands, as one of the prophets once said, and he has you in his hands, 
there, no matter what the mess is, we have a God who loves you, who is powerful. The high price that must be paid is the death of his firstborn son. Jesus on the cross takes our penalty, takes the punishment, pays the price, demolishes your sin and clears it forever. And guess what? The prisoner is said, that's us. In Christ, we can be free to be the people that God designed us to be. Romans chapter 6. Paul writing to the Romans. Romans 6, 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience that leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have now come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that you now claim your allegiance. Verse 18, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. And saying that Jesus is our redeemer is a way of simply saying that is the only way that you'll ever be set free. Because the day you say yes to Jesus, the, the day you say yes to Jesus with your life, the day you say yes to Jesus with your eternity, the day you become a genuine Christian, then on that cross, Jesus becomes you in the sight of God. He bore in his body on that tree all the sin that should have destroyed you and wiped you away forever. The, the separation from God that we deserve he gets separated. The death that we should have died, he dies. The price that we should have paid, he pays. The, the anger of God is poured out on him and not on us. So if you're genuine as a Christian tonight, if you've said yes to Jesus, if you stand with him for eternity, there is nothing of you. Your sin, your, your shame, your selfishness, your bitterness, your bondage, your fear, your guilt, your hatred, your hurt, your idolatry, your insecurity, your inferiority, your resentment, your rage, your emotional traumas, your mental torments, your sexual misconduct, your self-despising. There is nothing of that that Jesus did not reach down from the cross, lift up from you, place it on himself and totally pay the price. Take your penalty, defeat every sin, um, wipe away your guilt, wipe the slate clean so that in Jesus you can be free to be the man or woman that God wants. Because at the cross, God saw you at your worst and loved you at the most. The verse I started with, Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption through his blood. Next time you read that, I want you to remember the explanation that we've just had. In Jesus you are redeemed as he pays your price for your disobedience because of his death. There's a result from that, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. 
You are not your own. You were bought with a price. The beauty, the majesty, the wonder of redemption is that through Jesus you are no longer a slave, but you have been set free. Can I simply challenge you this evening? Will you live your life for Jesus? Or will you live your life for yourself? Will you trust what you accomplish in your life? Or will you trust what Jesus accomplished in his death? Will you try and work your own way out of a situation? Or will you trust that Jesus is there wanting to redeem you with his strength and his power? From this moment on, will you live as a slave to your own sin? Or will you live as someone who has been freed by Jesus? Can I pray for everybody here? Oh, Father, the the miracle of redemption is simply unbelievable. That we enslave ourselves by our own sin and yet you still love us. That we fracture our relationship with you that leads to spiritual death. But your son Jesus says, I will pay that price. Father God, I pray for each person listening here or listening online. Help us to submit to such a loving redemption. That whatever it is that we think is holding us down, that by the power of your spirit and the strength of what Jesus has done, we will live as your sons and daughters, free to become the people you always destined us to be. Father, may your anointing be on every single person here for them this moment on. We will live as your people who have been free. Amen.